0: Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy Podcast, where we find out how circular approaches are better for people, planet and profit. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at CircularEconomyPodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and our fortnightly edition of Circular Insights. Welcome to episode 61 and today I'm talking to IT sustainability expert Astrid Wynn. Astrid is the sustainability lead at TechBuyer a global sustainable IT solutions provider, which specializes in product life extension. She's also head of partnerships at Interact, a software tool that optimizes energy and carbon usage of servers. Astrid has co-authored a number of academic papers, including Optimizing Server Refresh Cycles, the case for circular economy with an aging Moore's law which looked at how past generations of IT can provide a net positive on use phase energy, economic benefit, and retaining precious materials. She's a board member at the Free ICT Europe Foundation, chair of the Sustainability Special Interest Group at the Data Center Alliance, and represents Techbuyer on the Interreg funded research project, Sodachi. And we hear about some of the work at these collaborative and open data projects. This episode follows up on a previous conversation with TechBuyer and digs into some of the perceptions around refurbished and remanufactured tech hardware, including reliability and performance. We hear how a remanufactured server is able to outperform a latest generation machine and why they're at least as reliable as new machines too. We hear how TechBuyer's investment in research, to understand the benefits of refurbishment and remanufacturing, helped it to fledge a sister company, Interact. We discuss why keeping critical materials in the loop is essential if we want to have those same materials available for renewable energy, electric cars and so on. And we hear about the kind of people who want to work for companies like TechBuyer with interesting jobs that include problem solving and creativity. Astrid, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So it's great to be talking again. We've spoken a couple of times in the past, and I know that you wear a number of different hats. Perhaps you could run through them all for us.
1: Okay, so my day job is that I'm the sustainability leader at Techbuyer, which is a sustainable IT solutions provider. Um, And I am also head of partnerships at Interact, which is a sister company that looks at energy efficiency for data centres and has a machine learning software tool to analyze that. Um, I'm also the chair of the sustainability special interest group of the Data Center Alliance. And I'm a board, med- board member of Free ICT Europe, who work for the interests of freedom in uh, IT, choice of IT hardware and secondary market um, with the EU Commission. Um, and I also represent Tech Buyer um, on a project called Sadasi, which is Circular Economy in the Data Centre Industry, and that is uh, now a four and a half year project that will cover seven countries as of April next year, all in Northwest Europe. So that's the UK, France, Germany, the Netherlands, Ireland, Luxembourg and denmark
0: that's quite a bio isn't it is there there anything else to add on to that list
1: yes um i'm also um on the consensus body for the revision of the american national standards institute standard on remanufacturing um with the remanufacturing industry council in the u.s
0: wow that's that's an amazing portfolio career i can't Begin to imagine how you keep on top of all of that. But I'm curious to know more about your background and how you got into this.
1: Um, Well, I spent a large number of years in Asia, in Singapore and Malaysia, um, where I was a journalist. And I was also a copywriter for companies and worked on sustainability projects for lens companies. And Swarovski's uh, outreach to a local community in on an Indonesian island, for example. Um, and then I came back to the UK because my husband and I wanted our children to be more connected with their family and found Techfire and approached them as a communications manager, looking at their messaging and um unique selling points and found out about the circular economy. I think it was the second day I was working with them and realized that actually they were the perfect circular economy model. Um, So from there, with the team, we started building on that and saying, what can we do with what we already have as a core business to make ourselves more circular? And more importantly, who can we find to help us drive that conversation forward? Um, From a business standpoint, it makes sense for a company that specializes in product life extension to make circular economy more mainstream. But from an ethical standpoint as well, a company like ours does attract people who um, believe it's the right thing to do. Um, So generally, people are very supportive of saying, okay, what can we do with packaging? What can we do to help a research project that's looking at this in our sector? Um, What information can we provide to other people? Um, What actions can we take as citizens as well? Um, So it's all kind of dovetailed nicely and um, grown as a result. And I guess I've become the company representative for Circular Economy um, and also a facilitator for things that people inside the company want to do. Mm.
0: Yeah, and I'm quite curious to know whether the company attracts employees who already have those kind of values or whether people sort of start out, you know, doing a job that they're qualified to do or whatever and then realise that they're part of something bigger and more world-changing and it kind of wakes up their internal values or or is it a bit of both
1: i'd say possibly a bit of both um given the sector that we work in it it attracts a very curious mindset and people all over the company see challenges every day that they haven't had to deal with before Mm -hmm. Um because we have new products coming online you have to be quite proactive about finding out how to process those products to the best of your ability. Um, and so it's quite an inventive um, ethos at Tech Buyer. It's quite... Um,
0: yeah, quite creative,
1: get, yeah. Yeah, get in there and, and make solutions happen. And um, a lot of people who work there relish that challenge. And circular economy kind of dovetails into that. Um, Like, it gives you the confidence to say, okay, well, this is a business solution in this way. What can we do about this? What can we do about that? Um, So I think that that's kind of part of it. And as the company's grown and its reputation for circular economy's grown, then we are getting people who are applying for jobs saying part of the reason I was interested in the company is because of the sustainability credentials and, and what I can help do on the back of that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's a bit of both. Um, I'd also say that when I've ever had conversations with people on the front line of this, like people who are handling repairs or people who are working in goods in or goods out, They're very knowledgeable and proactive about what can we do better. Mm. We had a meeting two or three years ago now when we were starting to expand into other areas of the business and see what we can do. And the guys in that meeting that were seeing packaging come through day after day after day were much more engaged in it and uh, knowledgeable about it than anybody else in the company. I think that's because they see it coming in and it kind of, you know, breaks your heart when you know that there's, like, peanuts that can't be recycled that you're seeing boxes of come through the warehouse.
0: Mm. I presume you mean expanded polystyrene peanuts, not... (laughs) Yes, Not real peanuts sorry. that could be edible. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yes, yes, or bubble wrap. Everybody knows about bubble wrap, or you know, high density foam. Yes, um, um, everybody was aware of microbeads. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, but there's all, the, all this other stuff.
1: So perhaps for those
0: people who didn't hear the uh, the episode a, a few episodes back, where I spoke to Mick Payne from Tech Buyer back in episode 53. Could you just give us a quick reminder of what Tech Buyer does in terms of the types of products and so on?
1: Um, So the core business, um, the background business was servers, storage and networking. Um, And the company began selling new equipment back in 2005 and refurbished equipment. But there was a Financial crisis that you may have heard of in mm-hmm. 2008. Um, and they saw uh, an explosion in demand for refurbished equipment. So they specialized in that. And over recent years, they've expanded their product line out. So they now handle PCs and laptops. And they have a division that collects um, IT equipment from organizations, offers a secure chain of custody. Um, certified data sanitization to sort of facilitate things coming back into the value chain Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And um, the company does still stock a small amount of new equipment. I think the majority of that is things like people have overbought um, equipment and they sell it back onto the secondary markets. Um, It's used for rebuilding machines and upgrading machines. Mm. Um, so it kind of goes into remanufacturing um, fully configured servers for people. And we also have a machine learning tool, which is a sister company now that came out of a two-year research project with the University of East London. and that looks at measuring um, energy draw of servers sort of rack level solutions down to individual servers mm-hmm. and offering the best solution in terms of energy usage over time and cost usage over time. And it will give a carbon readout as well that's tied to the energy usage.
0: That sounds really useful. Is, is that something that people can access easily online or is it part of the buying process? How does, how does it work?
1: Um, Well, both. (laughs) Interact has its own website, which is interactdc.com. That'll give you an overview of the tool and what it is and how it works and the research behind it. And if you wanted to request a demo, you just fill in the form and one of the team will get back to you and show you exactly how it works. Mm, Um, It's also used by our sales department to check homework. So, you know, say somebody comes and says, we want this yeah, we want a server that will give us this. Mm-hmm. Um, we can benchmark one server solution against another and double check that what we've got is the most energy efficiency um, option, and energy efficient option over time as well, um, which some customers find very very useful.
0: Yeah, that sounds that sounds excellent, and I think it's obviously in line with circular economy thinking, isn't it? To look at the whole life cycle of use that you're going to get out of a product and think about all all the costs including depreciation and also maintenance and other kind of servicing costs like energy so i guess yeah. more and more companies are starting to think about those whole life costs in a more systematic way and just yeah. just to come back to you know the buying decisions and Customer perceptions. You mentioned that there was a um, a big explosion in demand for refurbished equipment after the two thousand eight crash, um, and I think the same's happened with the pandemic. Pandemic, and maybe we'll come back to that. But just thinking about customer perceptions on the pros and and um, what people perceive as the disadvantages of refurbished and remanufactured technology products. Maybe, maybe you could run through some of those. You know what. What do people see as advantages and what do they what are they worried about and how can you overcome those worries?
1: Okay, so there are two answers on this that are worth exploring. Um, The first is perception. So we had a piece of research carried out for us by the University of Leeds 2019, just before we started our research project that looked at the reasons why people buy secondary equipment and why people don't. And it turned out to be the same thing, cost and performance. So people who do buy um, refurbished equipment buy it because it's cheaper and it performs identically to new. And people who were not buying at the time were saying, well, because we're worried that because it's cheaper, it's going to break. (laughs) Um, which you can answer to a certain extent by offering a three-year warranty, which is something that TechBuy has done for a long time, um, which is equivalent to the warranty of of new equipment. And you can publicize returns rates, which for us are very, very low. Um, We believe, although it's difficult to get published figures, we believe that they are slightly less than manufacturer return rates. And we think that's because every item that comes into our facility is tested is tested on the way in mm-hmm. and then it's tested on the way out. Again, every single line item. Whereas if you're looking at a manufacturing model, it's more batch tested perhaps. And that right. might explain it. Um, but we know that our return rates are very, very low. Um, but I guess that's kind of Part of the rationale of setting up the knowledge transfer partnership that we conducted with the University of East London. Um, And that looked at performance and energy draw of refurbished equipment versus new equipment. Um, So it began by just doing a like for like comparison. So if you refurbish a Gen 10 server, and you get a new Gen Zen server out of the box, what's the difference in performance? Mm-hmm. Um, and we found out that there was no discernible difference. Wow. Um, and we published that in the IEEE Transactions on Sustainable Computing. So it's peer reviewed research now. Um, not only that, we also started messing around. We started pulling parts out and replacing them with refurbished parts. So putting together hybrid machines to see if anything was gonna happen at component level. And again, no discernible difference. Um, So that's a fairly powerful piece of research that proves the performance of refurb versus new, but it wasn't on the market when we first started talking about it. So I think that that kind of handles some of the perception questions. Um, Another argument that you used to see in the data center a lot was that they'd say, yeah, we understand that there's a massive amount of embodied carbon in these servers. There's a huge amount of waste. There's a problem with the processing of that waste. And we know that there's some precious metals in there and some critical raw materials. But anyway, they'd say, well, yeah, we can save all that. But if we're losing on the energy bill by keeping um, by sweating the asset longer than we should do, then what's it all for? because Mm. carbon at use fades is higher than embodied carbon. Mm. So therefore, the sustainable message should be uh, refresh often and refresh to the latest generation because of the efficiency gains that are described by Moore's Law, which is, in simple Mm. terms, we'll get a doubling of performance every two years. Mm. So that's something that we looked at with the University of East London as well. Um, And a simple way of testing it (coughs) was to a look at CPU trends. So CPU trends at maximum capacity have been tailing off in performance gains Mm. uh, over recent years. And at low power mode, the the CPUs are getting less efficient. Now, you might think that doesn't matter too much. But (coughs) in a lot of real life situations, servers are operating around 20 or 25% of capacity. So if you've got a, a decrease in efficiency gains at low power mode, you're potentially losing over time unless you like, max out the performance of the servers. So we kind of looked at that. And then we started testing what would happen to a server if we, instead of refreshing it to, the latest generation with the latest CPU if we upgraded the previous generation. And we found that we could get a previous generation, like the immediate past generation, to outperform the latest generation by putting a high-spec CPU in for that generation, by uh, increasing the storage and increasing the RAM, which basically means that a soup up Immediate past generation is better on performance than the base configuration of the latest generation and it'll cost you a lot less.
0: Wow. So there's some significant thinking and design approach and analysis gone into kind of reconfiguring Servers to make them really fit for purpose for the user, and yeah, incredible and value doing. and and you know reduce it reducing the footprint of what you're buying and its usage footprint over over the lifetime.
1: Yes, so uh, but also on cost, um, which is good as well because it mm. helps you sell the idea. Um, yeah. So what? The research gave us was a reliable snapshot of what was working and what wasn't. Mm -hmm. And we had that homework checked by the IEEE. And then we built a tool on the back of that, which will, as I said, project over time energy usage and cost for particular hardware solutions Mm. and give you a readout on that so that you can, like... a sustainability person can make the case to the board for why you should go for refurbished options or remanufactured machines or upgrading bits of what you've got or being more smart about that. Mm. Um, And the board's going to be really interested because actually you're saving hundreds of thousands of pounds.
0: Yeah. And I guess also the sustainability person can have an intelligent conversation with whoever's responsible for IT. And overcome any concerns that they have about uptime performance specification all that kind of thing as well so it enables the yeah. right the right kind of facts to be to be to be discussed instead of it coming from you know emotive gut, gut feel for the sustainability person that buying pre-used has got to be better but but you know how do I how do I convince my colleague
1: Yes and from the IT managers point of view the emotional fear of well my job's on the line if i use refurbished mm. equipment if if you've got research that proves the value of that
0: mm-hmm.
1: then that position's less dispensable yeah um,
0: yeah definitely um, that that sounds incredibly useful f- for people and thinking about the the bigger picture of challenges for technology and information processing products and so on. I'm guessing there are a massive number of different materials involved. Some of those are going to be what the EU call critical rule materials.
1: Mm. So
0: could you unpack that a bit for us and, and, and uh, you know, talk about what's going on at, at sector level?
1: Okay. Um, so in terms of size of the issue, uh, Gartner says that we've got 121 million new servers coming online between 2019 and 2023. Um, At a conservative estimate, they're about a metric ton of embodied CO2 in the manufacturer and transport and mining um, to produce those servers. Um, They've got... Between 10 and 12 of the critical raw materials which have been identified by the EU as in low or politically unstable supply Mm -hmm. um, and are predicted to run out within decades um, when they've modelled usage. Um, And many of these critical raw materials are also used in the infrastructure to produce renewable energy. Mm. So when people are talking about build back better, they're looking for renewable energy as a pathway towards that. And they're also looking at digital transformation as another pathway towards that to reduce physical transport. So you're kind of getting pressure on those materials coming from two directions, Mm. um, which makes me wonder whether those predictions of running out in several decades now need to be revised and maybe you know more about that than, or you certainly know more about that than I do. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at. Um, the data center sector as a whole is predicted to grow by 500% globally by 2030. Wow. Um, so that's things like driverless cars. It's things mm. like smart manufacturing. It's things like uh, increasing reach of education. It's things like optimizing our farming. It's everything. And digital is talked about in every single one of the 17 UN sustainable sustainable development goals as a solution. So, yeah.
0: You're right. I mean, there are, there are just so many... Things that we're able to do better by using digital processing, artificial intelligence, machine learning, sensor technology—all those kind of things—but it's all data transmission, isn't it? And just things like um, Bitcoin, which is just one element of blockchain technology. Um, you know, apparently, users—I can't remember which—it's—it's—it's it's, it's more da- more energy than um, a couple of decent-sized countries. Um, And when you start looking at all the other problems that blockchains being proposed as a solution for, then, you know, we can kind of see just just, you know, that those even 500 percent growth. I think you're right that there could be lots of things yet yet to be invented or yet to be scaled that could make that picture even worse. So it's incredibly important, isn't it? Um, But but there are some some challenges, aren't there? Not not everybody in the industry is on board with the need to make it really easy to refurbish and remanufacture things. And I know you're involved in some initiatives to try and overcome that resistance.
1: Yeah. Um, What's interesting is that if you look at the really big players, they've been using circular economy in their data centres for years. So Google published a report way back in 2015 saying that it was refurbishing its servers. I think 19% of servers that came online were remanufactured machines. um, And a large chunk of the inventory of spares and upgrades were refurbished equipment. And that they made no distinction between refurbished and new parts for spares and upgrades. Mm -hmm. So when we read that study... We thought, a this is gold.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: B, we thought. Well, if Google's doing it, and and now Microsoft is public about doing similar things, and some of the other large large organisations are being very public about it, why is it not happening in the enterprise sector? What's stopping it? Um, and I guess part of that answer is that if you're Google, you have control of the entire. Um, life cycle of your servers. You you know, you manufacture your own servers. You get to refurbish in-house. Um, Do they? Get I, didn't, yes. I didn't realize yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, they run on sort of vanity-free servers. So I don't know what... Google probably runs on something similar to, to machines called Open Compute, Mm-hmm. which are open source hardware. I don't think Google runs on exactly that, but they have their own designs. They can design their own stuff. They can design for remanufacture. They can design for disassembly. Mm-hmm. I guess it's more difficult in the enterprise sector because you've got a number of different manufacturers that have their own fittings, that have their own uh, product lines, and it's much more difficult to integrate those. Um, and it's uh, it, it requires a sea change in decision making um, to get industry to come together and, and make something that's more compatible. Mm. We are involved with an organization called Sudasi, which I mentioned in the intro. Um, and they are uh, an academic and business network partnership of players from all over the value chain who are trying to um, emphasise the value of circular approaches and put some numbers against that and help people make decisions based on measurements in their data centres. One of the things that they're doing really, really nicely is they're bringing together actors from all over the value chain, so designers, recycling experts, refurbishers like ourselves, end-users, and having lots of different perspectives on the same issue, um, which increases awareness and increases thinking, because when you've got a complex situation, you need lots of different perspectives to try and make that work. Mm. Um, so that's, that's a project that we, we've now been made full partners of, um, and that is a very worthwhile project i think in in the greater scheme of things but also for us because it allows us to have direct influence and give direct information to a project that's um, fairly objective i guess in scope Mm -hmm. it's not like uh yeah it's not it's not like it's selling anything
0: yeah i think you know looking at, at what those big players are doing could be really transformational and not not just for the IT sector, but for other sectors thinking about how do we jump from this linear business as usual that's all based around sell more and planned obsolescence and so on, and, and you know lowering the cost on things, which means taking a, an approach to design and manufacturing that might make it harder to remanufacture or, or even recycle something.
1: Looking at it in terms of ecosystems is also useful when you look at other parts of the business. Um, so it's kind of like these reuse patterns and pathways out there, um, which at the moment, I guess, are quite limited in what we have in society because people have, aren't thinking about this properly yet. And you'll get these sort of minor solutions that are happening. Mm. Um, but I would like to see that develop more and people share libraries of we've got this material, we can't do anything with it, or we can sort of thing and, and have mm. these networks where you can have, uh, a, yeah, um, a kind of map of where you can put things if you're unable to process them yourselves.
0: Yeah, exactly. Those kind of material exchanges, which excess material exchange and replay and to some extent... Uh, Flow two that we've interviewed on the podcast, uh, and Globe spans another one. They're all kind of starting to do that, and I think even even Google, coming back to them, have seen the potential for that. They coined this phrase that waste is just a data problem, um, and obviously they're they're ideally placed to use data to uh, to help solve that problem. So Astrid, coming back to to tech buyer. Um, I know you're doing a few things to help push the circular economy forward. Maybe you could quickly just um, pick out one or two of those for us.
1: Um, Okay. So we've already discussed the SEDASI project, which we're involved with. um, And we've discussed um, the research that we did on energy efficiency, which kind Mm -hmm. of makes the case for bringing it into the mainstream there. Um, We are members of various organisations in different countries that try to push the circular economy message forward. So part of the work that we've been doing with the Data Centre Alliance is to look at other circular solutions that are available on the market for data centres, not just for IT hardware. Um, So um, there's a growing trend towards reusing the water that's used to cool IT equipment in um, domestic heating supplies Mm -hmm. and having circular solutions there. Um, So the work that we're doing with the Data Center Alliance is looking at those solutions, publicizing those solutions, and as a group trying to generate a best practice document for data centers who aren't Google, (laughs) (laughs) who don't have those resources, you know, levers that you can pull right now to make your um, organization more sustainable ways that you can help uh, things that won't cost you anything um, that might save you money might make you money um, and are a good use of resources and um, so that's you know one of the things we do we're involved with the local climate change coalition to see if we can help out with some information about the carbon cost of data usage, not just in the devices um, and how much carbon we can collectively save by uh, refreshing our laptops every five years instead of every three and our phones every three years instead of every two. Mm -hmm. But also the way that we use data, like um, Rich, who's our global IT um, director, does a lot of work publicizing the fact that, you know, If you um, transfer data on 3G versus 4G, you'll save about three times as much energy. Wow. And if you um, use your Wi-Fi network as opposed to a mobile network, you'll probably save another three times the amount of energy. So it's much more efficient to if you have to stream, stream at home. Um, avoid streaming at all if you can possibly manage it and download things and watch them again.
0: Mm.
1: Um, He does a lot of work um, publicising the effect that that has.
0: Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. And, you know, thinking about my own use of data as you were talking about that, I haven't subscribed to any streaming services. But just that thing about if there's going to be a song that you're going to play more than once... It's, it's better for the, for the world from a data usage and energy usage point of view if you buy that and download it once. And it's probably much better for the artist as well, that they, they might actually earn a bit of money out of the out of the song instead of all the money going to the likes of Spotify and so on.
1: Yeah, quite possibly. Quite possibly, yeah.
0: And Astrid, I always like to ask people for either their favourite circular economy example or to recommend a guest for a future episode of the podcast, so which of those would you, would you like to share with us an example or a or a recommended guest
1: um, both <laughs> <laughs> um I think a recommended guest would be Deborah Andrews who's the project lead of Sadasi, who has got a design background I think she'd be um very interesting to talk about wider picture of circular economy um, and what that means from a social standpoint as well as an environmental standpoint okay. um, across Europe. And my favorite circular economy example at the moment is chickens and eggs. That's my favorite circular economy example. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you feed chickens and um, they create food from food. And their byproduct is a fertiliser. And I like that example because it shows uh, what the natural world can do and what we're trying to emulate, but also that sometimes there are creative approaches involved. So chickens don't eat eggs. They eat kitchen scraps. Mm. And they transform those into eggs. Mm. Um, And they don't generate fertiliser. You have to leave it for three months and let it rot down. So I, I like them because it gets you thinking about, you know, how complex a circular example is and um the offshoots that it takes you on when you're trying to find answers.
0: Yeah, good example. Um, though unfortunately in our in our household our chickens <laughs> ignore kitchen scraps that we've tried to feed them. Apart from apple cores, they quite like those. Um, but one or two of them are are adept at getting past all the fencing and other barriers that are have put over my veg plot. So um, they <laughs> like it fresh from the ground, not when it's, you know, been sitting in the fridge. Brilliant. And Astrid, how can people find out more about all the brilliant projects that you're involved in and get in touch with you? Um, so um,
1: the Tech buyer website is www.techbuyer.com. The interact website is www.interactdc.com. The Data Centre Alliance, if you Google that, you can see some of the things that the Sustainability Special Interest Group's up to. And I'm on LinkedIn as Astrid Wynne Rogers.
0: And that's Wynne, W Y N N E. Yes. Excellent. So, Astrid, thank you very much for talking through some really interesting aspects of um information technology and and servers and storage and all that kind of stuff with lots of relevance to other sectors as well and giving us some insights into into things we'd probably not thought about but will have opened up circular mindsets for for lots of people i'm sure and um good luck with i can i still can't believe the range of projects that you're involved in so uh yeah, I shouldn't, shouldn't think you get that much time to, um, to sit and admire and keep an eye on what your chickens are doing. But yeah, good luck with all those projects and look forward to seeing what you're up to next, changing the world to be more circular and energy conscious and switched on. Thank you very much, Astrid. Okay, thank you very much. The Interact tool sounds incredibly useful, using peer-reviewed research to help Techbuyer's customers make the business case for their IT choices, including reassuring them that refurbished IT is at least as reliable as new. And I like the idea of Techbuyer using the tool to check their own homework, as Astrid put it. In other words, using the Interact tool to check that their salespeople had given the best advice to potential customers. It makes me feel optimistic to hear how much work is going on to embed circular approaches across the IT sector. And it was fascinating to learn about the transformational work at big players like Google, Microsoft and so on, which base their entire businesses on data servers and storage and have control of their supply chain because they design and specify it themselves. I think that highlights the benefits of refurbishment and reuse from the perspective of cost performance, carbon and resource usage, it's interesting to hear that lack of data is probably the main barrier holding back progress on reuse and remanufacturing. As Google say, waste is a data problem. I was shocked to hear those stats on data usage from streaming, etc. And it's made me think that we should try and think about data as if we were buying products. If we keep streaming the same thing, it's like buying a takeaway drink every couple of days and throwing the cup away instead of buying a reusable cup. If we like the music and want to listen again, it's better to buy the download and play that. Also, that it's so much better from an energy use perspective to use Wi-Fi for your phone data, not to stream it over 3G or 4G. And finally, it's good to hear that companies like TechBuyer are attracting curious and creative people. Those people are motivated by making a positive difference and by having jobs that include problem solving and collaboration. Companies like TechBuyer will prosper because talented, motivated people want to work for them instead of a company that's stuck in the linear economy. So there you go, another episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you to our guest this week, Astrid Wynn. You can find out more about Tech Buyer at www.techbuyer.com. Follow them on social media and check out the other links mentioned in the show notes at www.circulareconomypodcast.com. If you're looking for episodes on a particular circular economy strategy or for a market sector, or specific countries, check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at www.circulareconomypodcast.com and every episode includes an interview transcript. Don't forget that you can help make the circular economy happen too with the choices you make at work and in your everyday life. Buying pre-used, keeping what you have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. And you can help spread the word, talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one and two, or buy the new edition of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business, which takes you through the concepts and practicalities with lots of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy Podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice, and circular economy resources at www.rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. If you like what you're hearing, please hit subscribe and we'll see you next time.